0: Absolutely delighted to be joined on CFB today by Tom Watt. I recently on the CFB website and on Twitter talked about football documentaries and programmes that I really enjoy watching. BT Sport produced uh, football outposts. They looked at previous European um, Cup, Cup winners, Cup winners that maybe aren't as successful anymore, such as the nature of finance and football. But they also did a UK version where Tom travelled from Arbroath to Accrington, which was equally brilliant as well. So, Tom Watt, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Carl, thanks for the very kind words. Now, it was a, it was a it, we did three, three programmes, as you say. We did one around the UK, one where we kind of went to the absolute far reaches of, of what could be de- described as Europe, you know, the Faroe Islands, Norway, Kazakhstan, Gibraltar, um, and then one that was very much focused on clubs like Aberdeen who had had a moment, just a moment in the sun as regards to European club competition. Um, you know, like obviously um, Aberdeen winning the, the Cup Winners' Cup and stuff. But then it had all fallen away for some reason. You know, they, they'd they been giants. And then for some reason it just, it, you know, and there were these, there are amazing stories around Europe, just about clubs who've had these these moments in the sun. Do you know what I mean? And uh, we, we went to Aberdeen, but went to clubs like French Varos, um, uh, Parma, you know, uh, Stade d'Aurans in France, you know, clubs who'd had these amazing moments and then had fallen away, had fallen out of the spotlight, as it were. Some of them had, had come roaring back. Some of them were still struggling. Some of them had, had kind of disappeared into sort of political infighting. and You know, it was, it, it was just a... But what they all shared was they'd all had this... This one great moment in the sun, you know, they'd all they'd all won a, a European club tournament.
0: When it comes to to European club tournaments, so much is made now, of course, of the Champions League and the Premier League in England or across Europe. If a team doesn't get into the top four, there's there's inquests. It's a crisis at the club. But when you look yeah. back at the way European football was in the era where Aberdeen, Bucharest <laughs> were winning or in the tournaments for me, there was something more magical to that than there is now. would would you agree with that assertion
1: well you know that's um you see I feel like that, but i'm um, you know it's interesting to see someone as young as yourself can kind of saying that you know because you would have been brought up on champions League on yeah Premier League as you say you know these these big these massive kind of super clubs in 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 big European leagues competing in massive European competitions where I grew up on something else altogether. You know, my um, I, I grew up watching Arsenal and the first thing, you know, the first trophy Arsenal won in 18 years or something. And the first I saw them win was in 1970 when they beat um, Anderlecht in the final of the inter Fairs, what was then the inter Fairs Cup. And um, absolutely, there was incredible kind of I thought incredible romance. Obviously, they were, you know, they weren't competed for on league basis. It was all knockout. Um, it, I, I I do think something's been lost, as it were. Um, but that's just, you know, you can't you can't turn back time. You can't wish the present away. I just I know, I know what I like, and to be honest, the Champions League doesn't particularly. Well in the Premier League too. Really, they don't particularly excite me. Do you know what I mean? I I, I get excited by by stories rather than pound notes, you know, and it's um it's I, I guess just a different a, a different attitude to football. But I'm like I say, I, I kind of grew up with football in a very different era and so it's not like I'm, I'm you know, I can't stand up and say, Oh, it's not as you know, I can't. It's not as good as it was in my day. It's different. It's different now. And if I want what, what I grew up with, I can still get that. You know, I go and watch a lot of lower league football. and um, You know, that's, well, the, the first football outpost really was about that, you know, about kind of never mind the, the Premier League, never mind the kind of the, the big buck sponsorships and the, the huge um, wage, wages and stuff. What about these clubs whose, whose real importance is that they represent the, the communities they're in the middle of, you know? And, um, it is the miracle, of, the miracle of British football, really, is that unlike any other country on earth, um, we support this incredible structure of uh, professional football clubs. You know, there's well over 100 full-time professional football clubs in, in England. Just in England, you know, You get past the first 40 or 50, even in countries as big as Germany or Spain, you're talking about part-time, you know, pretty soon you're talking about playing in parks, you know, talking about amateur clubs. Um, But there's this, you know, football means that much to that many people. And particularly, whether it's Arbroath or Accrington or Cheltenham or Barnet or wherever it is, their club you know the club means that much to the local community that that these clubs can sustain themselves or fingers crossed they can sustain themselves obviously COVID-19 presents you know a challenge to them um, which isn't a challenge about oh you know will we be able to spend 50 million pound on a player this summer because we're a bit short sure it'll actually be a challenge to survive you know you see in clubs like Dover Athletic in the in the National League, full-time club in the fifth tier of football, but full-time club. Um, And, you know, they're they're struggling because of COVID and there's lots of clubs like that. So, um, yeah, those those are the stories that I love, really, which is why we went off and and made those football outpost programmes.
0: In terms of those stories, one of the the recent, you could say, throwback stories would have been, for me, would have been Leicester. But such as modern football... The story of Leicester going from surviving relegation under Nigel Pearson to Ranieri coming in, winning the league was beautiful. And then, as we've talked about when it comes to pound notes in football, the next season, Ranieri, who was the man who who created such a miracle, ends up being sacked, which I suppose shows how football has changed, where you think back to, to the late 80s, even 70s, if you had delivered a league title for a club at Leicester, you would have at least been given a couple of years after it, even if it was a bit shaky.
1: No, that's true. I mean, but that's, you know, management's like that. You could say exactly the same about Nigel Pearson, to be perfectly honest, who, by and large, built that team that won the, the the league for Leicester. And he was the guy that got them out of the Championship. He was the guy that kept them in the Premier League to give them a, a platform from which they could go on and... And Win the league, you know. Um, it wasn't Claudio Ranieri who signed Jamie Vardy, you know. It, it, but, um, no, you're, you're right. But that's kind of, um, that that is very much the kind of the short term, and um, there is an incredible churn with uh, with managers and stuff. But you're right, there was something great about the, the Leicester story. I mean, obviously, it is it, 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 it's strange really because although. You know, football generally is headed in one direction. People do still love those romantic st- stories, and they kind of, they kind of almost, um, they 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 kind of go on about the romance of those stories, almost in the face of what's actually the fact. I mean, let's let's be realistic about this. Leicester are owned by an incredibly wealthy owner. You know that that's it, it's like everybody kind of always goes about about Bournemouth, the romance of Bournemouth being able, obviously they 've gone this season, but you know Bournemouth being in the premier massively wealthy Russian owner, do you know what I mean it still takes even for for those quote unquote romantic stories to happen it still takes at the top of the game it still takes massive quantities of pound notes to make them out but um but you're right, and the the thing really I think about um the thing I really loved about the Leicester story was not so much, um, you know, great in football terms. It was a it was a great story, but what I really thought was fantastic was just the way that the club's success that season gave the gave the city something, you know, to be so proud of, and the kind of the impact of of that that title win on the East Midlands generally, but obviously on Leicester in particular, you know, was just, um, were just fantastic. The kind of, you know, people who've obviously spent lifetimes um, watching Leicester bounce around between divisions, talking about the good old days of the early 60s or whatever, you know, remembering back to, to kind of um, the days of Weller and Birchnell and people like that. And, and then out, almost out of nowhere, they're winning the league. And that was just I just thought I always put myself in the in the shoes, if you like, in the seat of the of the supporter watching that after a lifetime of following that club. And you just go, that's that's kind of the best thing about it, really, is how those supporters felt, how that city felt about the success of the of the football club. It's brilliant.
0: Absolutely. And and another thing that I always think when it comes to football um, the FA Cup, a lot of people talk about it not being what it was and I can understand that argument but for me <laughs> I'm one of these sad football fans that I love nothing more when a big club like a Manchester United and an Arsenal get drawn away to a Yeovil Town or a Rochdale when those yeah, yeah. ties happen in cup competition, now I know with modern football, these clubs have got massive squads and you could think Man United will go to Rochdale and win 5 nil or whatever it may be but I just love those stories because, for me, I always get reminded of the, the what-ifs. I mean, growing up, one of the things that I remember was Havert and Waterlooville took the lead at Anfield. I remember that. It was, like, 2006 yeah. or 7, And even though they went on to lose the game, you just think, for that brief five minutes there in the lead, you think, wow, could they actually do it? And for me, I love those stories, especially even now in the modern game. They just they just make me smile. Yeah, well, I, I
1: think if you... um. If you kind of rewind to the start of our conversation about European competition and you know the the kind of romance of it, the drama of it, the you know the the common denominator between those, that uh, the early eras of, of of European club competition and the FA Cup, it's it's knockout football. Yeah, everything is at stake on the day. And look, you know, it's um yeah, I'm a huge fan of the art of the FA Cup. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, you know it's our it's our trophy. You know, in the history of the FA Cup, Arsenal have won ten percent of all the FA Cups. You know, I mean, it's something that I think we have a a particular affinity to. But you know, even the FA Cup, you look and you go, well, I I think probably Arsenal this year are sort of the the first team since Wigan maybe from outside the quote-unquote top four to win the FA Cup. Um, You know, it's uh, it it does end up being dominated by by the, the big clubs. But, as you quite rightly say, you have these games, you have these fixtures where the completely impossible could happen. It could happen before the game kicks off. Sometimes it could happen during the game. And sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, it actually has happened by the end of the game. Do you know what I mean? you know, a a Wrexham have beaten an Arsenal. Um and that's that's what's what's great about the FA Cup is, is in many ways is not who wins it. It's the adventures that are had in the tournament along the way, you know. Um and those sort of feed into, if you like, feed into the latter stages, which do tend to be dominated by um do tend to be dominated by the the big you know, you look at this season semi finals, what was it? Chelsea, Man City, uh, Manchester United, and Arsenal with a, with a final four. You know. So that is the usual suspects. But along the way, there have been fantastic stories and fantastic adventures. So, no, absolutely. I think, I think it's a great tournament. And, and as I say, I think the reason it's such a great tournament is it's that rare thing now it's, it's knockout. So there's that jeopardy around every single game. Absolutely. And, and when it comes to
0: football and the knockout element, it always interests me, as we've both said there. And, and as I mentioned, where clubs go to lower league, for instance, obviously, by the accent, you can tell I'm based in Scotland. Um, yeah. I remember Celtic signed A man you'll know well, Freddie Lundberg, came up to Celtic yeah. and he made his debut away at Berwick Rangers. Now, it's a famous ground, Shieldfield Park, because it's got the, the speedway track around it. And I always yeah. remember Lundberg arriving at the ground and then going out onto the pitch looking around as if, what have I let myself in for here? And it's those things that I just love because it, they are a throwback to a previous time of football. And it was like Manchester United this season in the FA Cup, pains me to remember who it was. It might have been Rochdale, it might have been an old one, but the pitch was horrible when they were playing. And Tranmere, I think. Tranmere Tranmere. Something that was it, Tranmere. And they won convincingly, but just seeing the likes of Harry Maguire and, and the superstars have to cope <laughs> with that throwback
1: of a pitch was was, was no, brilliant. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, what, and, you know, to be fair, what you've also got to consider, I mean, to Manchester United, a game at Tranmere is probably an inconvenience. For Tranmere... You play at home to Manchester United on telly, that's that's the season's income. Whether See, it win or
0: lose. Seeing the situation that we're in now with the, the coronavirus and, and, the, and the impact it's having on not only football finance, but the finance of, of so many people in society, do you think for the likes of the FA Cup for that third round that the clubs who are ranked the lowest should be guaranteed a home tie when they go no, into
1: the draw? No. No, no, no. I'm. I, I just. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if no, I th- I think that there's a, one of the issues um, with uh, <clears throat> one of the issues with with football at the moment is people for the last ten or twenty years since football became because football let let's be honest, top level football these days is actually is um it's a it. it it's a game that's played for people watching on t v at home. It used to be that television cameras were guests at a game that was being played for the people in the stadium. That's no longer the case at the top level um if football is a game that's played for television audiences and you know we're all we're all extras in the crowd um and because of that they' you know that or partly because of that um People are constantly trying to kind of reinvent the thing. you know you've got the whole VAR thing. It's like sorry we've done we've done a hundred plus years. The game's fine. Leave the game alone. If you want to f- mess about with stuff, then actually mess about with how you're covering it or you know what you're what you're doing with it. but i I don't think you you know the whole point about knockout competition is it's the luck of the draw. And it works either way, Callum. Yes, for a tram mirror at home to Manchester United, brilliant. You know, you're guaranteed it's going to be on television. Um, it's going to, you know, Birkenhead will be absolutely kind of rocking for a week or two leading up to the game. I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's, and the likes of Manchester United turning up somewhere like printon Park. Is absolutely the kind of image that we've got in our head of what the FA Cup's about. But on the other hand, if it had been drawn the other way around and it had been Manchester United at home to Tranmere, that still has a romance for me. You've still got the luck of the draw. You've still got 50,000, 60,000 people inside Old Trafford, which sorts Tranmere out for the rest of their season and means they can continue to represent the people of Birkenhead. So I don't think it's. No, 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 I really, you know, the, the FA Cup, the format of the FA Cup, it I, I really isn't. It is the oldest and best knockout tournament in world football. Leave it alone.
0: Well, as you've said, if it's if it's not broke, don't don't fix it. So, fair play. So, thank you for for sharing that view. Um, something else I want to to talk to you about is your writing because. You, you've been involved in, in, in writing books about football and sport for a long time, and you've also yeah. been the ghost author of some very high-profile autobiographies.
1: Well, a couple of high-profile autobiographies, really. Um, just uh, David Beckham, obviously, for obvious reasons, is high-profile, um, which we did, that's quite a while ago now, that's 15, 16 years ago we did that, it was, we actually finished. Um, just on the just as as David left Manchester United and moved to um, to Real Madrid, so that that takes you back to how far 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 back that book was. Um, but then yeah, last year um, I did a book with a guy called Andy Woodward, who's the first person to blow the whistle on you know to go public about um, child sex abuse in football, um, and uh, obviously at the time. When he first spoke publicly to the Guardian newspaper, there was quite a lot of kind of uh, publicity around it. And, you know, obviously it was a a shocking story, which did kind of change the landscape. Uh, I I worry about whether it's changed the landscape permanently or whether it was just a kind of temporary disruption. But certainly thousands of other people found the courage to come forward and say, yeah, it happened to me uh because Andy had the courage incredible courage to kind of speak up and not speak up as in anonymously but actually say yeah this is me and this is what happened to me and this is you know here's my picture and here's my name and and the um yeah the book kind of uh, as well as telling the story that was already known obviously there is a, a huge story behind all that you know and there's a story about how that happened that abuse happened um, and there's also a story about the way that that abuse impacts the rest of a person's life um, you know and and Andy was very kind of honest and um, he's just willing to kind of face his demons do you know what I mean he's, he's an amazing guy really and um, so yeah um, position of trust the book was called um, and that was, I mean, it was about as different as you could get to a, um, to David Beckham's autobiography. But, um, but it took the same kind of commitment from the person whose book it was. You know, David was incredibly committed to his book. And, and obviously Andy was incredibly committed to, to the book he wrote, even though it, it was pretty difficult at times for him to, to share some of that stuff. But, you know, like I say, we, you know, I'd sat down with Andy and talked about possibility and talked about the idea, but I said, really, you know, if you you can't really be leaving stuff out here. You know, you've got you need to kind of if if you're prepared to talk about it at all, you've got to be able to talk about everything. And talk about your own shortcomings as well. You know, because Andy does you know he's very aware of of the damage that was done to him as a person and the way that that has meant he has kind of damaged himself and damaged other people particularly in 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 relationships going forward and you know if it 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 takes someone quite brave to be able to sort of face up to that stuff so um yeah those were um those were the two kind of high profile autobiographies I guess if if that's what you want to to refer to them as and position of trust is just out in paperback and it's I mean, it's an interesting one, Callum, because it is an amazing story. And Andy is an amazing guy. And, you know, like I say, was willing to kind of tell his story when that was something very, very difficult. And um, was willing to tell his story in a book, even when it, you know, even when it meant reflecting on his own shortcomings. It wasn't, you know, this is, position of trust is not a book about, a guy blaming Barry Bunnell <laughs> for ruining his life. Although, obviously, Barry Bunnell did ruin Andy's life, destroyed it. But Andy is brave enough and honest enough to kind of look at his own shortcomings as well. Do you know what I mean? And um, take responsibility for himself now. Um, and that made it, uh, you know, and like I say, it's, it's one of those, it's a strange one, really, um, because position of trust. We've got some incredible reviews. Um, nominated, well, shortlisted for William Hill Book of the Year, Sports Book of the Year, nominated for Daily Telegraph Sports Book of the Year. And yet, I'm not sure that kind of football's taking it on board, really. I'm not sure that it's taken the book on board. I'm not sure it's taken the message of the book on board. Um, you know, I I still think that that child sex abuse. In football, but generally, it's something that that people kind of—it's difficult for all of us. People shy away from it, Callum, because you know this is this is something very, very dark that people do this. Do you know what I mean? And and the amount, the number of people who are victims, who are survivors, the number of people who are perpetrators is shocking is really shocking and when you consider that the vast majority of sex abuse not in football i'm not talking about i'm talking about generally now child sex abuse you know a huge percentage of that happens within families and that is something that's difficult for people to so it makes the whole Subject quite difficult for people to face up to. Do you know what I mean? And to really, you know, we'd we'd rather not think about it. Um, every now and again, someone like Andy Woodward comes along, and we have to think about it. You know, and there, the, obviously, there are the kind of cases in the Catholic Church or cases in the Scouts movement or whatever it is. And there will be instances where we're forced to confront it. Interestingly, that tends to be in situations where the abuse is happening outside the family, outside the, the friendship group or whatever. you know, it, it, where it's like, a, you know, a, a kind of monster from outside is the person perpetrating it. And and those will kind of get, but when you start, if you, once you start looking into the subject, you know, and you find it's a bit closer to home than many of us would wish it to be. And so it's quite difficult and uncomfortable as a subject for people to think about. And um, I I think maybe the the book's kind of suffered from that, because I think it's a really important book, a really important book. You know, and uh, unless we're kind of honest about what's happened in the past, you know what they say, you, you know, you have to look at history. You have to look at these stories if you're to have any chance at all of making sure they don't happen again in the future. You can't. You can't go. Oh, look! There's a headline, and then kind of tuck it away again under the carpet because it. You have to face these things. Um, and um, I'm not sure we are, as a society, as a culture, we're quite ready to to face up to everything that comes with stories like Andrew.
0: Definitely, I agree with you in the sense that. Whenever something's a subject that people maybe shy away from, there is that notion of headline coverage for a day or two, and then right completely, let's move on. And and that needs to change. I, I was speaking yesterday to, to to Kevin Harper, who was up here coaching in Scotland, and the statistic up here, a totally different issue, I'm about to mention here, is Alex Dyer at Kilmarnock's, the first black manager in the Scottish Premiership since John Barnes in the late 90s which again really when you think about that it's a scandal within itself really
1: but again 100% 100% and you know you look at the games now and you know all the players taking the knee before games and stuff and you know Sky put up their or whoever BT put up their slate you know Black Lives Matter and uh, all that which don't get me wrong great but it's so easy to kind of do gestures and not actually keep focused and change. Do you know what I mean? To actually make you know, it's like you know. To be honest, Callum, it's like you know. If you if you think about think about the representation of black managers and you know the numbers in Scotland are are shocking. Funny enough, I saw I saw Alex Dyer up at um, I, I was working in. Uh, in Edinburgh, a little while before lockdown, actually, it went amazing game of football, actually, at um, Tidecastle, at um, Kilmarnock 1 3 2 at Hearts. Um, but you're absolutely right. And uh, the, the thing is, you, you look at that, the numbers here are exactly the same. You know, the, the percentages are exact. And it's like people go, oh, you know, every now and again there'll be a story, there'll be a kind of headline, and, you know, oh, we've got. But the Rooney rule, The Rooney Rule should have been in place 10 years ago. As soon as we saw in in the NFL that it worked, but here, everybody kind of conspires against that sort of, actually taking the sort of action that you need to take to change things. You know, people willfully, and I mean people in football, people in the media, people willfully misunderstood what the Rooney Rule was. You know, and in order to avoid putting in the... Obviously, now, the Football Association has has put the Rooney Rule into place. And and there is a move in in the English Football League as well to do that. Premier League, no sign of it at this stage. Um, But you do, you you have to... It doesn't... Problems don't get solved by, you know, a week's worth of headlines or players taking the knee gets solved by people being honest enough to really confront the problem and ask why, and then to take on the long haul of changing it. And if you don't want to do that, if you don't really want to look at the problem, and if you don't want to take on the long haul of changing the situation, well, then you've got to be brave enough to say, no, actually, I think it's all right as it is. We'll just have black players. We don't want black managers. We don't want black directors. Well, I you should know, it. That, if that's it. That. Because if, if that's what you feel, then be honest enough to say it. And then we can judge you on that, you know, and you can be judged on that, on that basis. But don't, don't give me headlines. Don't give me, you know, kind of, you know, slates on TV coverage. Give me change. Give me change. And the change is there. It's The changes are there to be made. You know, and the same is true in, in, in the, the situation of Andy and the, the thousands of other uh, youngsters who've been, been abused um, playing the game they loved. Um, you know, and, and, and there's exactly the same. And, you know, the FA turns around and says, OK, we're going to do a big inquiry. We're going to find out exactly what went on. Just been shelved. The Sheldon Inquiry should have been published a year ago. Where is it? No, it's been shelved indefinitely. Different... Oh, well, because you know there are court cases going on. Don't give me that. You don't want to know the truth, true Alexandra. Don't even bother doing an inquiry. I'm not being funny, callum You know, if, if you don't, if you don't try to change, then deep down that means you don't want to change. I agree. And Uh, and that,
0: for me, is the the thing that that needs to be said more often. And I think that pressure needs to be applied to certain organisations, as you've mentioned, because in the case of Crew Alexandra, the fact there is no investigation is disgraceful. And that really is a scandal in itself. And and as you've said, if they come out and say, look, what happened in the past, we think it's been addressed, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying I would agree with that, but at least their point of view would be out there and people could judge them accordingly. But to shy away from it, I just... It, when you shy away from something, as you said, for me, it definitely hints that deep down there is an acceptance of something that's happened or, as you've said, there's a reluctance to, 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 to embrace real change.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like they say, for evil to triumph, it just needs good men to stand, good men and women to do nothing. Um, and that's that's a, the only thing I would say. And you you actually mentioned John Barnes earlier, and um, I do think John is John can sometimes be a bit of a kind of bit of a voice in the wilderness. But I think he is right, um, and and kind of misunderstood a little. That obviously, you know, football has its problems with systemic racism, um, and football has its problems as regards child sex abuse. But it's very easy to, or there's a there's a danger of just focusing on those yeah. those problems in football. Whereas, as John rightly says about you know racism in the UK, you know there's a for whatever you know for for every Raheem Sterling who is brave enough and articulate enough and and justified enough and righteous enough to speak up obviously there are there are hundreds of thousands of of young black men who don't have that voice you know racism is something that's experienced away from football every day every minute of every day by black youth and um you know by um That's also true, unfortunately, of of sexual abuse. The sexual abuse of children is something that is being experienced by young people every minute of every day across society, never mind just within football. So they are, you know, and whether you can say, okay, well, fix football and that will fix society. I think really what Barnes is saying is you can't just think if you fix football, you'll fix society, which, of course, you won't. Um, that's not an excuse for football not to try and fix itself, but obviously there are big things that need fixing in wider society as well. And I think that's that's a point that that John tries to make as often as he can, and is he's, he's very articulate in making. And I think he's absolutely bang on. Um, the, you know, this because it, it, again, it's easy to go, oh look, it's a, football's got a problem. Football's got a problem. No, we've all got this problem. Whether the problem is racism, whether the problem is Child sex abuse—we've all got that problem. It's manifest in football. It's, as it were, acted out in public in football, but it's there. It's everywhere, you know. And that's um, that's something that I think John tries to remind people, and he's—I think he's absolutely right.
0: One of the other projects you've been involved with is with someone who I've got a lot of admiration for, and that man is, is Tony Adams, because. Especially in society now, I mean, I've been honest and open about my own mental health journey, lots of of others have been as well, and for me, for progress to be made, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's drug abuse, whether it's mental health issues, whatever it may be, for progress to be made, you need people to, to be willing to, as you've mentioned with Raheem Sterling, talk about their experiences, be an open book and say, this is how it was, no no hiding it, whether it was to do with whether it panic attacks, whether it's to do with the fact that your alcoholism is brought on by X, yeah. Y, and Z. Until people yeah. share their stories, it's hard to, to really resonate with society as a whole. But for me, Tony Adams is someone who has really been open and honest about his struggles. He's talked about addiction. He's talked about despair. He's talked about what it's like to be in recovery and try and be on, if you want to put it this way, on a road to redemption. So for me, I think, He's someone who I find really inspiring because he's, he's a guy who was an England captain. He was a captain of Arsenal. He had the world at his feet, yet he still had issues. And that really resonates now more than ever in society where it doesn't matter what your bank balance is. It doesn't matter that you have been, been married for 40 years. It doesn't matter that you've got your dream job. You can still be impacted by yeah, mental yeah. health or or other issues that come with everyday life
1: yeah no absolutely and um you know the thing with tony is um i mean you're right yeah absolutely he's talked the talk but he's walked the walk as well you know the um the um the 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 royalties he earned from his first book um addicted which told exactly the story that you've just um been been talking about um, You know, he took those royalties and he created Sporting Chance, um, which began as a a kind of a way of helping other sports people deal with, specifically with addiction issues, although it has become much wider than that now. But, you know, he told his story and with the money he earned from telling his story, he created Sporting Chance, which, to be honest, I mean, you know, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't tell you how much I respect and admire Tony. Um, and in many, in many ways, don't get me wrong, you know, here am I, you know, an Arsenal fan who watched his whole career and, you know, was, was there and, you know, just the greatest captain Arsenal's ever had. And, you know, fantastic. But when I look and reflect, and I think, sporting chance. That's an achievement. That's an achievement. Do You know what I mean? You go, don't get me wrong, Tony has been responsible for some of the greatest afternoons and evenings. As a footballer, I'm talking about, greatest afternoons and evenings of my life. No question. Absolutely brilliant. But whatever happens in football, you win games, you lose games, you win trophies, you miss out on trophies, whatever it is, you have a good career, you have, you know, Sporting chance, talking about saving people's lives, and I, I don't mean that. I'm not. I'm not talking in a literary way. I mean, actually, people who would die, their lives are saved by the treatment that was made available to them through through Sporting Chance, and that is whatever Tony did in his career as a footballer. Sporting chance is an incredible, incredible achievement. Um, And the fact that it's, um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, there has been a real kind of focus this year's FA Cup final, heads up, FA Cup final. And, you know, there's been a a focus on on mental health and what have you. Well, that's come along. And obviously, Tony's been involved in a lot of that. Because he's not just been talking the talk. He's been walking the walk in chance of him walking the walk for 20 years. Our organisation has been trying to help for 20 years. And it's gone from a, you know, a small residential facility down in Hampshire to uh, uh, education. Well, goes across all sports now, not just football. Reaches every kind of professional club with education programmes. And, of course, now, although addiction is at the core of the thing, that was what it started with, you know, Sporting Chance. The Sporting Chance Clinic started as an addiction treatment centre, which was focused specifically on the needs of professional sports people. That has now spread so that now, you know, any sports person, past or present, can phone Sporting Chance, and within an hour, they're talking to a counsellor whatever their issue may be that's an achievement that's that's a thing to do with your life so <clears throat> you're absolutely right about tony and, and you know it's just i've obviously <clears throat> I'm, i've known tony through really through football through um uh, you know uh, no, I, I haven't got to know him through Sporting Chance, it were. I, I, know, I know Tony, we live quite near, nearby each other, see quite a bit of each other. But, you know, obviously I've been able to to just sort of help a little bit, really, tiny, tiny little bits around the edges, you know, just making little films about what Sporting Chance do. And um, we've, we've got a, a podcast series <clears throat> which was recorded before lockdown of people basically just telling their stories, you know. Um, and that's, you can get to that, you can access those. Although they are Sporting Chance podcasts, but you access them through either the Sporting Chance website or through Tony's own website. So, you know, help with little things like that. And obviously Tony has had, he's done some very, very interesting things in football at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Was Built a club from nothing in, in Azerbaijan. Um, and uh, then was kind of sporting director across uh, several clubs owned by um, a Chinese investor for uh, for four or five years. So, that you know, he has continued to have a very interesting football career, which I've, I've also, you know, went out to Azerbaijan a couple of three times, made films about what was going on there at the club and what have you. And, you know, he's just someone I really, uh, you know, I can't, can't tell you how much I respect and admire him. But sporting chance is an incredible, incredible organisation and uh, has been driven by him and it's continuing to grow um, and continuing to kind of just, this is what I'm saying, it's all very well. A heads up FA Cup final is great, don't get me wrong. Doing a little two minute video about the importance of mental health, let's talk to each other, don't get me wrong, that's great. Sporting chance, is 20 years of hard graft. You can't say something, you can't badge something and then leave it and go, oh, well, that's all right, then we've, we've kind of done that. Sporting Chance, and not just Tony, but, you know, the staff and, and everybody involved, and indeed, the people who've been through Sporting Chance themselves, that's 20 years. That's 20 years. And it's every day every minute of every day to affect change in people's lives. It's not something that happens with a kind of, you know, in the space of a TV advert, you know. Um, And Tony's got that, he's got that drive, he's got that commitment, you know, that obviously is driven by his own experience, you know. Tony is still at meetings every week. AA meetings, I mean, you know, he, he knows, you know, recovery from addiction is a, is a daily, a daily thing, you know, I think if, with an addiction, you wake up every morning and the first thing you have to think is, I'm not going to have a drink today, or I'm not going to have a bet today, or I'm not going to, whatever it is, it's, it's not something you kind of just go, oh yeah, I think I'll stop, oh yeah, I'll stop betting. It's not how it works. To every day. Every day for year after year. And Sporting Chance have had that staying power. You know, just talking a bit about mental health online or doing, you know, renaming an FA Cup final. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticising it. I'm saying that's all great and it's all part of the process. But don't for one moment think that's enough. Because it ain't.
0: That's very powerful and and very true. Because, as you've said, when you when you say that you're going to tackle big issues, no matter what organisation you are, PR will only go so far. And and as you've said, actions speak louder than words. So it's important that and you have
1: to have the real will. You have to have the will, Callum. Not you're not doing it because of what other people think. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And what's the right thing to do yesterday? is the right thing to do today and it will be the right thing to do tomorrow and that's and without that drive without that will real will to change then things don't change
0: and 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 as you've said the, the change needs to come and, and and please god that it will come and that the work of heads up etc will, will will start to to resonate more and more as as we go on and Another aspect of yourself, Tom, that I find very intriguing, and again, the show here is is listened to by a range of age groups. But for the younger audience you are involved with EA Sports, just
1: describe what that is like and what your role is there. Yeah, I, it's a strange one, really. I mean, I love it. Really, I love what I do um, for EA Sports um, because I, I I don't know if you're a, if you play FIFA, um, but um, I got approached, it probably would have been about four or five years ago now, and uh, they were putting a story mode into the game. The, the Alex Hunter story. Yep, the journey. Um, yeah, exactly. The journey. And I think initially, they, they kind of, they got in touch with me. Um, really, most of my work is just with two, two guys, to be honest. Uh, one English guy, one uh, Canadian, um, who our producers on the game. Um, and I think initially they just approached me to say, look, we just need someone who's, you know, this is the story. What we've got in mind is a story of a young a young player who comes up through the ranks at a club's academy and what happens during the course of his career. And, you know, obviously the idea of a journey mode is that rather, uh, of a story mode, is that rather than just play the games, you play the games in the context of a story, you know. Um, so that you have characters, you have drama, you have jeopardy, you have scenes like you would in any TV or film or uh, book or whatever it is. Um, and um, I think they just wanted someone who, still don't know quite how they found their way to me, but they wanted someone who, who could perhaps give a bit of advice on, on keeping it credible, keeping it true to the reality of, of, of football, um, so that you didn't have people playing and going, that's, that's wrong. That isn't how it happens. That isn't the numbers. That isn't the statistics. That isn't the, that isn't the kind of relationships that exist. You know, it's just a sort of just someone to kind of check the credibility of the story, really. Um, and um, which was fine. That was great. But I kind of got involved and, I, you know, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so I actually got involved in not just checking the story, but actually creating the story in the first place. So that's been really, really good. And so we did three years of Alex Hunter and then we did, obviously, they then kind of um, did Volta, which is the sort of reinvention of, of um, FIFA Street that came in, uh, what would that have been, FIFA 19 or FIFA 20? FIFA FIFA 20 was, was Volta. Um, obviously, I've done a little bit on that side with FIFA 21, but there's not, i don't think there's the same kind of focus on a on a story there are story elements but it's not but what we what i've done over the course of lockdown actually is that all the you know on there's a lot of text on fifa where you get you know comes up on screen you know newspaper headlines or uh, managers press conferences or emails from um you know the chief executive to the to the Manager or whatever it is, it's a lot of text, and uh, that hadn't been looked at for a long time. So, <clears throat> over lockdown, I completely rewrote the text of FIFA. That's about a quarter of a million words. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's just again to try and make it a little more, you know, just to freshen it up a bit. Really, it's great, and you know, I love it that, you know, that they entrust me with something like that. Obviously, I, I kind of did. I did some and said, is this what you've got in mind? And they went, yeah, on you go. And so I did all the rest. Um, So that's, yeah. So I've I've kind of, I guess, been involved. Look, FIFA is a mess. It's enormous. You know what I mean? To put together that involves so many people and so many incredibly talented people and people who do things, I could not even, I don't even understand what they do. Never mind being able to do it. I don't even understand what they do. But I understand that they have to be able to do it, otherwise you haven't got a game. It's brilliant. But I have this, you know, for the last four or five years anyway, I've been involved in this little corner of the game that is, you know, it's fun. It's fun. Making up football stories, that's fun. Do you know what I mean? Creating characters, it's like, you know, whether you're... You know, whether you're doing TV or film or books or theatre or whatever it is, you know, it's all stories, it's all characters, it's all what happens next, what what what, what should we make happen next? You know, so that stuff is really um, is really really fun to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just quite how they found their way to me, I don't know, but they did. I'm not sure they did. You clearly
0: have incredible passion for football, as I've mentioned with football outposts and through everything we've talked about in the show so far. You mentioned your links to Arsenal. Just describe
1: what Arsenal mean to you. Well you know, um Arsenal were my local club. I grew up twenty minutes walk from Arsenal um and started going in the mid sixties. And it kind of been a you know, the club has been a very, very big part of my life in the sense that, you know, a lot of friendships have have developed you know Highbury was like my back garden um so you know and I've I've kind of um got involved at the club in many ways you know done a lot well still do actually during lockdown we were doing um you know podcasts and online seminars for for kids who are specifically primary well on the one hand primary school kids who couldn't go to school but as online resources, of, you know, was doing stuff with, well, with Tony, with Ian Wright, Sol Campbell, with you know, just stuff for, for kids online, kids to send in their questions and we just do this sort of one, these online Q&As and stuff. But then also setting up and facilitating um, for all the sort of casual coaching staff, community department staff, all of that. Uh, people who ordinarily would be at the training ground or, but for obvious reasons couldn't be during lockdown. Kind getting people um, in for for webinars um, to just talk about their experiences. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been involved with the community department for a long time, long time. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's a bit difficult to, to kind of say just how much it's meant. It's different now, Callum, to be honest. You know, the club is different to how it was. Um, and it's it, not just Arsenal, really, you know, it goes back to the start of our conversation. Really, you know, football has changed. Um, Top-level football has changed. It's a, it's about different things. It's, you know, and I've moved out of London. I've got a team that currently plays in League Two, about 20 minutes, I can't walk there, but it's 20 minutes' drive away. So, you know, these days I go and watch as much football in Obviously, I I, I go to Arsenal, not at the moment, but I go to Arsenal because that's what I do. Do you know what I mean? That's absolutely part of who I am. Um, You know, that I grew up with Arsenal and, you know, it's been something in my life for, you know, for for 50 odd years. Um, But I, to be honest, I go and watch as much lower league football now as I do Premier League. um, More. Because I just like, you know, I can go 20 minutes down the road, I pay at the turnstile, I can go and stand behind the goal, ask about with me mates. Do you know what I mean? Watching players who ain't great but are trying their hearts out, and you know, every now and again will do something incredible. Um, you know, and I, I like all that. I like all that, and it. There's a lot of what I get now from football in, you know, whether it's going to, oh, you know whether it's going to Millwall or, or Cheltenham Town, which is the club that I, I go to a lot, or, you know, or Solly Old Moores or wherever it is. It's a lot of that stuff is kind of why I got into football in the first place. You know, I think back to when I'm 10 years old and started going to Arsenal, I didn't know what a good player looked like or what a bad player looked like. What I loved was the atmosphere, was people having a laugh, was people swearing, was people having a drink and smoking. and It was another world. I loved all that. And that's what got me hooked in the first place. And then you think, as you watch football over the years and you do a bit of work in football, you get to know know people in football. They share their experience and wisdom with you. You kind of get to know a bit more about football. But I still love the stuff that got me into football in the first place. Which is basically asking about behind the own goal. I mean, the whole dads and lads thing. You know, I love, I, I just love, you know, taking me, my son um to football that's that you know that that kind of all of that i love all that and um and a lot of what i got interested in football for in the first place what got me hooked on football in the first place you don't actually get from the premier league anymore it's not there it's not there but it is still in lower league football and so i uh, rather than I could sit around and moan about, oh, Premier League football is, you know, it's not like it was in the old days. What's the point of that? And who am I to say, oh, it was, you know, I liked it better in the old days. Because fortunately, I can go and get those things that I feel Premier League's, the Premier League's missing. I'm going to get those somewhere else. I can watch the Arsenal because it's the Arsenal. But I'm going to watch Cheltenham Town stand behind the goal, pay on the turnstile, and I get, I get what I had then, you know. And so, um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, we had Cheltenham Town. We had, a, you know, got a great young manager at the moment, Michael Duff. Last season, played some fantastic football. Got to the playoff semifinals, but absolutely mugged by Northampton Town, unfortunately, in the semifinals. But, um, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm more like a kid. At sixty odd, behind the goal at Cheltenham than I ever am now at Arsenal. At Arsenal, it's all kind of it's all a bit grown up, isn't it? You know, one, you're paying grown up prices, and with that, you know, and you you're kind of sat in your seat, and it's it's different. It's um, you know, you feel more like a customer, less like a supporter. Standing behind the goal with your mates and having a laugh, you know, and you know. How important that club is to the people for whom it's it's important, which is goes back to football outposts. You know whether it's you know whether it was Arbroath or Carlisle or you know uh, Rushton and Diamonds or Gillingham or wherever. That that kind of you know there's only three three and a half thousand people going to watch Sheldon. And those three and three and a half thousand people, really matters. It really matters. And it's what we're about, you know. Um, You know, they had a great, there's a great kind of phrase that goes with the club that, you know, they don't say made in Cheltenham, they say made of Cheltenham. We're made of Cheltenham. And that's, you know, and and, and that kind of thing, I I love all that. I really love all that. I mean, you know, I just helped out. They did a a shirt launch recently and I just helped out with a script for the, the video you know which was basically nothing to do with the shirt (laughs) it was all to do with the clubs and the town's experience of covid and how now the club and the town need to kind of help each other to recover from it's great this stuff is great so yeah um Sorry, what did you ask me? I got, I got bit, I went off a bit there. We're probably talking about Arsenal. I've ended up <laughs> talking about Cheltenham Town, but <laughs> That's um, all right. I'm glad that there's Cheltenham Town. I'm glad that there's Cheltenham Town there to fill in the gaps that modern football's left behind at the Arsenal, because it's not just Arsenal; it's everywhere. It's all top-flight football. That I really struggle to take an interest, Callum. I really struggle to take an interest in the um the soap opera, in the manufactured drama, in the, you know, it's all like, it's all got a, every story's got to fit in a five minute, you know, three minute piece for football focus or, you know, a preview for a, you know, Sky Super Sunday. You know what I mean? So what? Those stories, so what? I, I just think, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, you know, modern football is not the football I grew up with. Modern top-flight football is not the football I grew up with, and that's fine. That's fine. You know, when I grew up, and well, until quite recently, really, football was a minority pursuit, and that was part of the appeal. Was you know, people who like football really like football. It wasn't something to kind of tweet about or you know people really like football they went to the games They, you know they lived and breathed it and the vast majority of people thought we were nutters in fact to the point of you know a prime minister like margaret thatcher wanting to get rid of us you know she did for the miners she did for the printers and she was coming for the football supporters next um and obviously that's changed and it's become very much a you know part of the wider culture and that's great that's great um but in that process, some, a lot of the things that I really valued and that really excite me got, have been lost. And so, um, you know, but I can go elsewhere for those things. I can watch the Arsenal, but I can watch, you know, I can watch Cheltenham Town too. And that's, that's fine. And that's football.
0: In terms of football, one of the things that some people criticise me for at times is the fact that for me, see, to dislike a football club, it takes an awful lot. So for me, the stories... Like, for instance, if in League One, I don't know, a team team like Burton Albion are doing really well and they're pushing for the playoffs, I'll be really enthused by that and I'll be very open, but I think what they're doing is great. And some people get, for whatever reason in the modern social media age, get really wound up about that, that, oh, you seem to like basically every club in the football league or you seem to have a lot of time in it. And I always answer back, that's just because I love football. For me, the stories that interest me are the stories that we've talked about in this show, clubs that are maybe punching above their weight, clubs that you think on paper shouldn't be there. And when they are succeeding...
1: yeah, I'm glad I started Football Outposts in our Arbroath because there's a club that has...
0: Well, that's our know, Arbroath, spot on. It's incredible like what's happened there. You look at them now, they're in the Championship, obviously. Oh, no. Great Morton, my hometown club, in the Championship. I go and watch Morton. Um, and, and when you see Arbroath, when they came up, a lot of people thought they'll go straight back down. But I remember at the time... The manager, Dick Campbell, was on um, a, a radio show up here in Scotland and they said, oh, you're just going to stay up? And he went, no, no. He says, we're coming in this league to compete. And people laughed, but to be fair to him, he was spot on and so much so that when no. they go into this season, I don't think you'll get many people backing them to get down. And the fans are clearly loving it and, and good on them because they are a club that, as you showed in Football Outposts, are a real community club. Who might not have sixteen thousand fans. They might not even have sixteen hundred fans. But the fans yeah, that they've yeah. got care very much.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and the club is a uh, something really kind of positive in their lives. Absolutely. I mean, just to go back to your, your point about <clears throat> I'm a bit like you, I love a good story, um, but I do think and I, I kind of sympathize with the people who have a go at you, Callum, is that I am One of the things that kind of makes my heart sink is when people say, oh, I just love a good game. I just love football. And for me, football, to be perfectly honest, you know, the flicks and tricks. Look, I've been lucky enough to watch some of the greatest footballers ever to play football on these shows. You know, I've seen Thierry Henry playing football. I've seen Liam Brady playing football. I've watched Dennis Bergkamp playing football. Do you know what I mean? So, don't get me wrong, it's great. The very best people doing what they're good at is, is always incredible. I actually don't think that's what football, at, at its heart, I don't think that's what football's about. For me, football is about them and us. Football is about my lot versus your lot. So I'm the kind of person who, you know, I'm, I'm walking past the park and there's a game going on. Um, 20 kids playing shirts v skins in the park one i love football so much i'll stop and watch and two within 2 minutes i know which side i want to win i've taken a side do you know what i mean i've taken a side and that is absolutely for me that's absolutely at the, at the heart of football is that kind of them and us thing you know that you go to football and it's not to watch if you sit down on a sunday afternoon to watch teams that you're not particularly associated with as entertainment, well then of course it's the flicks and the tricks and the skills and the, you know, the personalities. That's what keeps you watching. I'll go and watch football. I'd, you know, I'm not a great one for, I'll 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 watch Arsenal on telly if I can't be at the game for whatever reason, like the cup final on Saturday. But, I'd, you know, I'll always go for the game. I'll always go. And there, I think it's always, you know, you always, you want to, when a goal goes in, you want to be up and cheering, and I don't mean up and cheering because wow, that's a great goal. I mean up and cheering because we've scored. You know what I mean? So I always want a, a, a we, and of course, you know we can't be, um, you know, you can't pretend otherwise. It's in football, like in life, we a lot of the way we identify ourselves. Is by saying not what we are, but we say what we're not. So Arsenal supporters, we're Arsenal. That's part of it, but it's also that we're not Tottenham. You know what I mean? And so that kind of so I do think that partisanship is is very very much part of. But I don't see why that stops you. Um, I don't think that stops you if you like taking sides and, and enjoying that. Um, that, that whole them versus us, my lot against your lot, um, element of football, which is which is uh, for me is is massive, massively important for the game as a as a spectator sport. No, absolutely, and I think the, to, to to respond
0: to that in terms of, for instance, whenever you get into the playoffs, um, whether it's down south, whether it's up here, there's always a team because again, the interest for me is in the stories and just in the game itself. So. But despite that, there's always a team out of the four. If it's Cheltenham, Coventry, Peterborough and Burton, there will be a team out in there who, for those playoff games, because of the story or whatever I've I've been drawn to, I'll go, right, that's my lot for this playoff and I hope they go up.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. You do find yourself getting stuck every now and again. We had um, the Championship playoffs just recently, Swansea versus Brentford. I was really struggling. You know, I've been doing stuff at Brentford for years and years. Not so much now, um, although there are still a lot of people working at the club who I absolutely think the world of. And, and obviously, it is a great story what Matthew Benham has, has brought to the football club and, you know, the way they go about their business. It's, it's really, you know, it's a really, really positive story. And like I say, I've been going to Griffin Park for 30-odd years on a pretty regular basis. Um in fact, this season is probably the first season in 30 years that I haven't been to a game at Griffin Park. But, Swansea. Do you know what I mean? I've started going down. I've got a really, really good mate who works down there. And it, it, it's just sucked. The place has just sucked me in. You know, the Jack Army. They've just... I just love going. Now, it started with going down there to watch the Arsenal when Swansea were in the Premier we did. Filming with Swansea for the first Football Outpost film, you know, and interviewed Leon Britton, who played, you know, he's still involved at the club, but, you know, played at, in every division for, uh, for Swansea. Played in the game that kept them in the Football League, do you know what I mean? And we went back to the old Vetch and talked to him in what was the centre circle at the old Vetch and stuff. And, yeah, how can you not get sucked in? And, you know, what they've done this season has been... Unbelievable, you know. You go, you know, they lost their two best players, Ollie McBurney and, and, and Daniel James. They lost their manager, Potter, to Brighton, and yet they got to the playoffs. You go, so I'm watching Swansea v Brentford and I'm struggling. I'm struggling on the them versus us front, to be perfectly honest. So every now and again, you know, you, you, get, you get involved with with clubs and get involved with their stories and you find when they come up against each other you don't really know which way to turn. Um, but um, you know you probably wish you were watching the other semi-final instead but no. <laughs> it's it's, but it's great all that to, to kind of you know be aware of the story and uh, get so that every game you get under the skin of games, you understand what games mean. Um, and what games mean to the people who are paying to watch those games being played, and um, I love all that info.
0: Absolutely, it's the game as you've said, the then versus us, the stories, the romance. For me, uh, and as you've said as well, that's what the game's all about. And just before I let you go, Tom, I'm conscious of your time. Um, just where can we can we access your work? I mentioned the fact that Football Outposts was on BT Sport. The shows are 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 replayed quite quite every few months. I, I seem to go, I've got them on record because I'm one of these people that likes to get them on a on a cold rainy day. I have to be honest. Um, but yeah, well
1: they do it. Well, to, to be honest, they do they do kind of sneak them out really. But I, I, I never know when they're going to be. And you know those are quite old now. Those films, you know, they're from several years ago, and it's great that they still kind of make sense if you know what I mean. You know, that it doesn't matter that our brother now in the championship, football outposts still make sense. With um, you know, when our brother uh, uh, still never got out of division two, it, it still works. Um, and there's, uh, there's another one you might want to keep an eye out for the not football outposts. But I did, um, I, um, I produced the uh, it, incredibly, it's the first ever full length documentary about refereeing. Can you believe that? the first ever, you know, a, a kind of hours documentary or 50-odd minutes documentary. It's called Ref Stories from the Weekend and just looked at, you know, refereeing at every level of the game and, you know, in every different parts of the country and um, the process becoming it It was a piece of work I'm really, really proud of, really proud of. And incredibly, nobody had ever done it before. Um, so that's called Ref Stories from the Weekend. So, yeah, they're, you know, those do turn up on on BT Sport, I guess, fairly regularly, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not great at, you know, I haven't got a sort of, you see, I know you're, you've got the website and you've got this and you've got all your sorted, you know, Callum McFadden, Intergalactic, you've got it all nailed down. I, <laughs> I'm not great on all that, do you know what I mean? If you want to know about the books, go to Amazon. <laughs> if you want to know about the films, don't, keep track of and I've, I've just finished work I'm finishing up on a new TV series that will be out at some point in, in the coming months and stuff. I, I'm not great at saying, oh, you know, i am got somewhere particularly you can go. I, just, I might be enough for people to stumble across the stuff, just like you stumble across Football Outposts, Callum.
0: <laughs> Sounds great, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. No, pleasure. Good to speak to you. So we'll dive down to the ocean I'm we'll make her Home in a Deep Sea Cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean I'll we'll make her home in a Deep Sea cavern Her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song